Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode number 75 of Rizzo cast. And today we are joined by right-handed pitcher from the Yokohama Bay Stars, Michael Peoples. He played eight years of minor league baseball with the Indians organization before heading overseas for the 2020 season. Michael, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, just sitting in my living room here in uh, Yokohama. It is 11.28 p.m. right now. Um, yeah, man, everything's going good. I'm happy to be on. Yeah, so you're the first person ever to join from a different country. And, and that's 75 episodes, probably over 70 people have come on. And, and you're the only one to join from a whole different country. And I know we have to work around the 16 hours uh, between us. And you're recording this at close to midnight. Uh, I guess we could start there. How tough is it to communicate with like some of the people that you're close to in the States? Um. That was, that was a big adjustment because, you know, a lot of times people work normal jobs, nine to fives in the U S and when I, if if I have to get up early to speak to them before, you know, they, they head off to work or stay up late to talk to them at night. But, um, my family's been, you know, real easy and real, uh, real understanding of the time change. Uh, and like I was telling you baseball, you know, that's generally our, our, uh, mo is the later start to the morning and the later night so it kind of works out in my favor in that point yeah so i guess you're used to it do you ever have the opportunity to you know tap into some big league games that might be still going on maybe here and there uh yeah i watch a little bit more so like catch up on twitter and stuff um here all the all the sports channels are obviously japanese you know sports so if it's not our own game, it's the rest of the MPB. Soccer's big here, obviously. Um, but yeah, I keep it. I keep up with the MLB as much as I can, and, and uh, I know that 2020 was a weird year, obviously. You know, with COVID and everything, and and uh, this year has been a little bit more back to normal. But seeing some of the offense and and some of the crazy games that go on, just it's fun to watch. Yeah. And did you ever think your career would take you to Japan? I mean, I feel like players don't just like get drafted, play pro ball, roll out of bed and say, Hey, I'm going to play in Japan, you know, in my sometime in my career anywhere overseas. So did you, you know, did you ever think that this would ever be a possibility? Like as a college player, as a high school player, was this ever something that you thought of? Yeah, not a thought in my mind <laughs> at first. Um, obviously, growing up in the States, you want to be in the, you know, MLB. That's a goal. That is a dream. Um, uh, Cleveland allowed me the opportunity to fill that dream, play professional baseball. Did it for a while. Uh, enjoyed my time. Had a great time with that organization. Really loved a lot of the people there. Um, and then 2009, after my 2019 season, um, Yokohama reached out. We ended up, you know, coming this way and it was a whirlwind you know third longest flight i had ever been on you know 13 and a half hours you know over the ocean land in a country where you i'm just worried about not being able to speak you know the same language and how that's going to work translators have been great they've made the adjustment pretty easy they've got it they've got it you know down to a science now they're really good at it and uh 
a lot of good people here, but yeah, never a thought until 2019 that I would be in Japan. So Cleveland, you know, you played with the Cleveland Indians organization. Did you play with all those guys coming up with the police acts of the world and in the Savalis and the Beavers, or are they a few years younger than you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it started the first one I can really remember. Uh, Cody Anderson. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember the name. Yeah. Cody Anderson. I remember when I got moved up to high A, I actually lived with him and Sean Mormondo, who is actually now with the Marlins. Uh, and Tony Walters, who is with the Colorado Rockies. Um, kind of came up with those guys a little bit. I was the younger one of that group. And then once I got to double A, it was the the Savali, the Tommy Pannone, the Beaver, you know. Um, and then a little bit of the Tristan McKenzie start, like right when he had first gotten to the higher levels. And then AAA was um, Plesak and, and, uh, Clev was in there for a year and before he got traded. And yeah, so a lot of those, I think that's one thing that Cleveland prides themselves on is their, their ability to kind of home grow a couple of guys and they always have good dudes. And I, like I said, I can never say a bad thing about my time there. And all those guys are great guys. Yeah, no, they, it seems like they draft and develop really well. Um, so yeah, back to when you were a minor league free agent after 2019 and Yokohama reached out to you. Did Was it just like a, hey, we want you? Or was it an offer? Was it, you know, how um, did that kind of process work? Yeah, so my agent, I was actually in the Dominican Republic playing winter ball for the uh, Escojito, the Lions. I don't even know how to say it. Leones del Escojito, Escojito Lions, either way. But, uh, and my agent said that there might be an offer from overseas. Well, we had hit the innings limit and kind of been like, okay, well, we're going to go home. And then, yeah, as soon as I, I didn't become a minor league free agent until I guess it was November, maybe first week of November. And right about that time, they sent over an offer and my agent was like, it looks good. You know, I mean, we can obviously wait it out, but he's like, if it's something you want to do and pursue, I say we go for it. And about three months later, we were on a plane to Japan. Yeah, that's incredible. Just, I mean, pitching in the States for like what, eight years and then getting the call while you're in the Dominican Republic to play in Japan. So you're going to come out of this man, a well-traveled guy. Do you ever uh, think yeah, about that's, that? <laughs> that's what I, that's what I was thinking too. You know, get minor league baseball, you get a chance to travel a lot of the U S especially the Northeast uh, being in the leagues that I was in. Um, so, you know, the IL or the international league for AAA, you know, is pretty much the whole entire East coast basically with the exception of, you know, Florida and stuff but so a lot of the U.S. I had seen but traveling outside of the country to play baseball was you know something that you don't even really consider right because you know when you're thinking about the MLB it's all the U.S. and then yeah having getting to see this different culture and the way the game's just so much different at the same time same rules you know it looks the exact same it's just played completely different yeah and if you get back to the big leagues you could cross Canada off your bucket list. If you ever play in Toronto, that could be another exactly. country that uh, you knock off your bucket list. So, you know, when the plane lands, uh, I know you mentioned it was kind of a culture shock. Um, mm. What was kind of your mindset with the, were you mentally prepared to head into a different country? What was kind of the learning curve? Like, was there some early like mayhem and stress? Did you ever come into a situation where, you didn't know what was going on. Other people around you didn't know what was going on because you couldn't communicate with them. 
Um, yeah, so before I headed over here, I had a, a friend of mine, Zach Stewart, who had played in Korea. Um, and I had reached out to him a little bit about what it was like. And then obviously I got to play with Travis Banwart with the Indians in AAA, who was an Indians guy. And then he went to uh, Korea to play as well. And then I had talked to him about his experiences. Nobody ever had anything bad to say about it. And I was really excited, obviously, you know, a new opportunity and a new land. Um, and I've always enjoyed Japanese culture when it comes to like their ability to respect, you know, and the samurai culture and all that stuff. But um, so I landed and yeah, I think the biggest thing was understanding what you're doing, but not understand, like not understanding anything uh, around you, if that makes sense. I knew I was in an airport. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what the signs were saying, but I was just following the flow of traffic. And, you know, I'll stand out like a sore thumb because I'm a decently tall guy. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the people over here are pretty short, so I could see over everybody's head, but like I said, they're really, really prepared. They had it nailed down. They had a translator meet me at the airport and, you know, I get off a 13 and a half hour flight. And the first thing I did, I didn't even get my bags yet. The first thing I did was go through an interview. So I did the interview with the translator and um, still was pretty much asleep from that, I think, because, you know, I had gotten a decent amount of sleep on that flight. And then we get out to the cab and that's when it really hit me because everything looked completely different than what I'm used to. You know, mm -hmm. Texas obviously is nowhere near Japan in terms of, you know, the way it looks and it's mountainous here, a lot of trees, very humid, very hot. Um, yeah, it's it, the, no, no real situation where I didn't, where I was completely lost stands out in my mind. But then again, I go through them every day where I'm like, you know, I order food and somebody brings food to me and they say something I don't recognize. And I'm like, and I don't know how to respond. So I'm like, I don't want to be a jerk and say something wrong. So I just kind of, you know, bow a bunch and, and we move on. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I knew I was in an airport. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I, I got here somehow. <laughs> That's the only thing I could tell you about when I landed. I, I, I thank God everybody was going the same direction because I just flowed with traffic. And then I ended up coming out into this little open area and the translator Satoshi was standing there. So, so do all, do all the American players on your team have the same translator or are you guys both assigned a translator? So we, on our, we have, uh, six foreign guys, um, Tyler Austin, ex Yankee, uh, position player and Neftali Soto, position player. Um, Soto speaks English and Spanish. So we have an English and a Spanish translator who's also Japanese. So he knows three languages. He is in the dugout most of the time. He'll work with the position players. And then we have two relievers who normally we have a translator in the bullpen. And then we have one that'll stay with the starting pitchers, myself and Fernando Romero. Because um, mound visits need to be made. Uh, pitching coach has to talk. You know, obviously it's important for him to be in there. So, yeah, there's there's three main ones that kind of rotate. And uh, they're always around when we need them. Have you picked up on any Japanese yet? Like just some brief sentences maybe or a few terms? Yeah, brief, brief sentences, hellos, goodbyes, a lot of cuss words, obviously, because that's yeah. like the first thing you learn in every language. Uh, but having a translator, one thing I will say is having a translator has made me a little bit lazy on the learning of the, the, the language because even last year when, you know, before we got shut down with the whole COVID thing, we were actually allowed to, you know, go out and kind of explore um he would go with us 
translator would be like, all right, where are we going? And they would just tag along. They had no problem with that. They were good about everything. So my general conversation is baseball conversation or hello, goodbye, how are you doing, that type of stuff. And then other than that, I'm completely lost when it comes to, you know, carrying a conversation. Yeah, well, at least, I mean, you try. I, I could, yeah. I could, yeah. Right. So it's it's definitely uh, interesting. Uh, so yeah, COVID. I mean, you got there in the in the midst of COVID. Um, how was that? What was it like? You know, being in Japan for COVID. It was it was weird, more so because I was hearing about it from the family members I had back home. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, you know the virus was on the news, and we were in spring training at the time. So I was in Okinawa, Japan, little island. Um, and I remember one of the trainers one day coming up to us and talking about the virus and just talking about washing your hands and being careful. And at that time, there wasn't any cases reported in Okinawa. Um, so we go through all of spring training and really it's talked about bare minimum and nobody really takes it too serious. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, everybody thought it was like, oh, it's the flu, you know, a different strain of the flu, you know, whatever. We fly back to um, Yokohama in March and uh, that was kind of like the first time that we really were like made super aware of, of like the severity of what was going on. And our travel was different. We were supposed to be wearing masks. We kind of were in a bubble at that point, but not really. We could still go out and have dinner and all that kind of stuff, but they wanted it very limited. And then our one of our last games we played, like the practice games before season started in April, it was late March. Um, they shut everything down. So we were kind of on the fence of like what we were going to do because we're over here and I had no idea what was going to go on. So for about two months, while the MLB was was trying to figure out their bubble situation, um, we were here and pretty much confined to our apartment. We had practice three days a week, optional. Um, so I was going in here all three days a week. And actually, I had set my uh, – spare bedroom mattress up in the hallway and that's what I was throwing balls into on the days that I wasn't allowed to go into the field so trying to keep the arm in shape and and uh doing little at-home workouts more so body weight when I wasn't at the field and those three days I was there I'd get a lift in so um yeah definitely a weird time but I think the minor leagues in the U.S. prepares you for stuff like that if you played long enough you uh end up having to do some weird stuff so yeah, that that's that's <laughs> throwing the mat, uh, throwing the ball against the mattress. Did you break anything at all? Was there anything? I did that- not. Thankfully, thankfully, yeah. I uh, I angled it a little bit and then had a yoga mat I put underneath it so it wouldn't be too loud hitting the floor for the people below us. Because yeah. I know how they are with that. They don't want some crazy American guy throwing a baseball around in the in the apartment above their head. Yeah, where are you from, Texas? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so you live in an apartment, you have a house, does the team set that up for you? How, how does, what's the living situation like? Um, yeah, I have an apartment. The team has a few apartments here that they set the foreign guys up in. Um, so when I first got here last year, there was only one apartment available. So that was the one I was in. And then I really like the building. It's in a great location. They actually have a barber on the second floor. Who's really good grocery store attached to the building. Um, yeah, so you're centrally located. There's shopping everywhere. So I really liked the area. So this year when I came back, I was like, I want to be in the same building. So yeah, no complaints. Really nice apartment. The a lot of the Japanese guys call them mansions <laughs> because they're they're a little bit more suited to bigger people, you know, like a traditional Japanese apartment is very, very tiny. 
Yeah, this and then, then you come over here and the apartment's like the lowest level of living. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. So, I mean, if you had to pick one, what, what would you be your favorite thing about playing in Japan? I know there's probably a lot of good things, maybe some bad things, but what's your favorite thing? Um, if I had to pick one thing, I would say probably the fan interaction. Mm-hmm would be mine um obviously you know the u.s has great fans too don't get me wrong on that side of things but like there are super fans here that do and they do great stuff for you i have people send me pictures they've drawn of me all the time Saw that, yeah yeah they i get a lot of those and then i actually have i actually put this next to the computer because i figured it would come up eventually like the amount of fan mail you get just lockers full and they're always really good about reaching out and i mean you know, you feel like you've known them forever, you know, and they, I like that part a lot. I think that part is really, really good. The, the, uh, well, obviously baseball is the biggest sport here. One of the only one, you know, they don't have football. They don't have all that stuff. So they really enjoy it and, and they treat us really well. Yeah. It was actually a fan that set us up together and, uh, you know, yeah. that, that, that person always, you know, sends me clips of some of the foreign players doing, you know, big stuff. Soto has been putting up numbers in Japan, um, yeah. you know, Austin's been hidden. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a cool thing. And they, they really, you know, they really bow down to some of the guys down there. Right. I mean, yeah. cause when Eric Thames, I know it's different. He went to Korea originally, but you know, he had a song written about him. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, if you thrive in Japan, they're, they're really going to let you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really will. Um, yeah, they, that part's been really great. And I think, you know, if I had to piggyback off of that, I think just the, the overall way they go about the game every day. I mean, a lot of these guys work incredibly hard every day, you know, and always have a good attitude. Um, I think sometimes we lose sight of that in the U.S. a little bit. Um, becomes a little bit more monotonous, you know. Um, not saying that people in the U.S. don't work hard, obviously, but uh, the guys here just go about their business every day, and it's it's fun to watch. And I think the language barrier helps the the observing part of it, right? Because I can't really understand a lot of what they're saying most of the time, but being able to watch their body language and the way they go about it is really impressive. Yeah, just to be – is it anything like that one movie, Mr. Baseball, with uh, Tom Selleck? <laughs> yeah, the, it's crazy you bring that up because it's pretty close. Like, oh, I yeah. watched that – I had seen that movie before I ever even, you know, thought about playing baseball in Japan, and then – before I came over here, somebody mentioned it like, hey, you should probably watch that. Just see if it, it it's close. Pretty close. Pretty I think close. it's a little bit more exaggerated in the movie. Obviously, Hollywood tends to do that. But that's kind of the thought you get sometimes like, why, why are we doing this? And it's just like, well, it's the way it is. You know, you kind of fall in line or you or you get weeded out pretty much. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty close. Yeah, you got to be tough to go down there. So if I were to, and this is, I guess I should ask this earlier, but if, and this is a, a very big stereotype in Japan. So okay. if, if I were to, you know, want a cheeseburger or something, that wouldn't be a problem, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So they actually have a lot of American cuisine. I say American, even though, you know, like I would consider pizza an American cuisine and it's obviously not, but um they have a lot of like american food especially in this area it's a big foreigner area where we live here um yeah some they even have like have they have a hard rock right down the road 
So you could snag a burger, wings, or or pizza, or anything like that. Um, and then obviously the Japanese cuisine is really good. I, I'm not picky at all, and I tend to be very open about food. And the sushi here blows the sushi in the U.S. out of the water. Not even close. I don't care what anybody says. It's way better here. Oh, the, there's some some people. If you ever want to go to Japan, try the the sushi. So they, oh, there's some oh, advice. Absolutely, yeah. You got to try it. How do you guys get around? Is there is like I mean I know some places you have to probably fly. Maybe do you drive? Do you take a bus? Is there like some nostalgia of the minor leagues with the buses? How what's the travel? Uh, the travel here is awesome. Ooh, uh, that's good. So a non-COVID year, obviously going to the field. We're not allowed to drive till our third year. Every team's kind of different with rules. Um, the base stars, you're not allowed to drive till at least your third year. So if you're not driving, you're taking public transportation, but because of the whole COVID thing, we've been cabbing to the field and then travel with the team. If it's, you know, anywhere all the way out to Hiroshima, which is about 12 hour car ride, but it's only a four hour train ride. So we take the Shinkansen 90% um, of the time, which is awesome way to travel. You're, you buy a ticket, you go to the station, you get something to eat. You stand on the track for two minutes before the train pulls into station. It's never late. It's never early. It's on the exact time it says it's going to be there. Hop on, sit down. It's basically like a first-class plane seat. Um, there's food service. And the longest you're on it is four hours. And then every other trip's, you know, hour and a half, two hours. And then the one time you fly or a couple times you fly is going to be like Sapporo or whatever, but it's a two-hour flight. It's all really easy. Travel's awesome. Yeah, that's great. It's kind of like spring training in Arizona where – all the cities are kind of close knit half an hour away, 15 minutes away. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, and I looked it up on a map too, in preparation for this, you're not too far from, from Tokyo. So what was the process like for the, uh, the Olympics? I know that's a huge deal, especially since Tokyo was the host of the Olympics. How big of a deal was it from kind of your angle there? Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so actually from my apartment, you can see Tokyo, which I didn't realize Tokyo was as big as it is. It's a giant city. I mean, it reminds me a lot of like New York City, Manhattan, but just goes on for miles. Um, but yeah, our stadium was actually used for the Olympics. So mm -hmm. during preparation, you know, about, I want to say three weeks before the Olympics even started, we were still playing games and they're like, no, we can't use our stadium anymore. So we played our last like eight or 10 on the road um but yeah i mean you just just add just think about what i was saying about baseball and fans and everybody following it and just times a million you know um they built an awesome new facility there in tokyo which you can see pretty close to where uh the swallows play at jingu stadium it's a crazy facility really nice they do everything like that here unbelievably fast how quick they can put stuff up and it it's you know crazy big and has all these standards it has to follow but um yeah, they, the Olympic thing was, you know, one, are they going to have it? I know 2020 was supposed to be the year, and then, it, you know, they had already spent all this money, and they were pretty worried about it, and they wanted to get it in. I'm glad they got it in, and I thought – I think it was a success and really good. Um, and it ended up being Japan and U.S. in the gold medal game there for the baseball. Um, yeah, crazy experience. Awesome. I got to be a part of it. It was cool to see all the pictures and all – and just the fans and the way they kind of uh, – really rallied around that and they, they you know it was kind of controversial because you know some people were like well why are we doing this if you know the covid numbers and all that stuff 
But like I said, I think it was a success and I think they pulled it off and got everybody in and out of here safely. And I know there was a lot of people doing that. And, and uh, like I said, yeah, I'm glad I was here for it. Cool little experience. Do you know if Team Japan gave Tyler Austin a hard time about playing for Team USA during the Olympics? Because I, I was thinking about that. I was like, God, I mean, it's such an easy transition because, you know, Tyler Austin is pretty familiar with that area that he's played yeah. there this year. And then, yeah. you know, you put on a USA jersey. I mean, it's completely different. Uh, so yeah. did they get, you know, if they gave him a hard time about that? They were switching? actually really supportive of it. Um, they thought it was really cool. And they, you know, the... Anytime you get a chance to represent your home country, I think they bow down to that and they really respect that. Even though he is a part of, you know, baseball here now, um, they loved him to have that opportunity, I think. And from me speaking to him about it, he loved it. He said it was great, you know, good change of pace just to, you know, have a little bit something different to play for for a short amount of time. And now he's back here and he hit the ground running and that little off time, there was nothing better he could have been doing than playing in those games, you know, that matter like that. And uh, I think it was um, really good for his career and and really good for the Bay Stars just to have a guy, you know, representing the USA and Japan at the same time. Now, does he also talk about charging Joe Kelly in, in Boston? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so when I first met him, I asked him about that. And uh, <laughs> he was like, I don't like to talk about it. He's actually a very, very humble human being and mm -hmm. not what you would consider when you see the video. You know, you might think, oh, this dude's probably likes to fight. Very calm, you know, very reserved type of guy. Um, he doesn't really talk too much about it, but at the same time, you know, it's one of those things that every, every athlete goes through. Um, he thought he'd been thrown at too many times and he missed the first time and he, you know, hit him the second time and he was angry and he said, I did what I did. I'm not proud of it, but I won't speak on his behalf on that, but. We like to give him a little bit of crap from time to time for it. Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, it's justified. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad, but you know, sometimes it's justified. I don't know what it is in Tyler Austin's case, but Hey, he was a platoon bad in San Francisco here too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for a little bit, um, you know, played mainly against lefties. Mm -hmm. uh, so in terms of style of play, I know in baseball, the story right now is around, velocity home runs strikeouts walks there's the three true outcomes and i don't know if it's changing or not but it's certainly not right now i mean i know japan is another stereotype it's stereotyped as you know the small ball haven yeah. uh, is that the the sense that you've gotten or is there any other differences that you've seen um i think you know coming in here that was definitely the stereotype and um it does live up to that in some extent yes they are very much more small ball oriented here much more contact oriented here, much more off speed oriented here um, in terms of the hit, the pitcher. But uh, you run, it's like, you know, one of the best players on the face of the planet right now, Shoyo Otani, right? Japanese guy. You run into those guys here, man. And it's the same as like the US, you know, you, you, have your, you have your polar opposites in the same lineup. You have your big guys that's got some pop and they're a little bit slower. And then you have your just absolute Trey Turner burners here, you know, like, guys that can hit, put the ball in play a little bit. One thing they is they are not afraid to foul you off all day. They don't care what they look like. They don't care how ugly the swing is. They don't care about any of that. They just do not want to strike out, and they will just continually foul you off until you either, one, walk them, or two, throw something over the plate they can put in play, and they will bust it down the line. I've seen more head-first slides in the first base 
in Japan than I've ever seen in my life. And it's unbelievable how bad they want that single. But I think it goes right back to the way they work, the way they respect the game. I mean, it's pretty impressive to watch and it's fun to be a part of. I mean, yeah, that's such a good trait to have offensively. It's just the 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 want not to strike out because I feel yeah. like it's just forgotten here. I mean, yeah. I don't know how it got lost in the dust or whatever, but I'm blown away when guys strike out and they go, oh, it's just another out when there's a guy at second base and nobody out. It's like, come on. Yeah. I mean, what, what's yeah. going on? Um, but was was there something that brought you over or was there something that you brought over in terms of routine to Japan that just flat out does not fly there? What are some of the you know unwritten baseball traditions that are frowned upon? Because I'm thinking about the movie again, and I should catch myself because I know that the movie's now kind of over-exaggerated, but like there's some things that he couldn't do. Was there anything yeah. that you did and they're like, no, 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 that doesn't work here? I think um, the base stars are really open and mm-hmm. they, as long as you have a reason behind it, they don't really you know, mess with a routine. Um, so in terms of routine, nothing really, the weighted balls was something they're all kind of interested in. And I've been doing that since 2015, uh, just part of a program that I have for arm care. And, um, you know, they're all, they all always ask like the weight of the balls and, you know, how many times you throw them and that type of stuff. Obviously, you know, they're, Japan is all is very progressive and they're always looking to get better and they like to take things that they see or vice versa. We take, you know, some things that I see here. I'm like, I saw that in the States and now I know kind of where it came from, but um, they're on the Jaeger bands. They use a lot of Rapsodo and um, uh, Trackman, um, Edgetronic. So they're on all that stuff. Um, the, the thing that they don't do here that in the States you see everywhere you go is probably like the, the T work here is like rapid fire, just bam, 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 bam for minutes, you know, not reps. And then, whereas in the U S when they take BP, it's like a, you know, a, a rocket show, right? Like how far can I hit it? These guys are peppering different sides of the field, trying to go, you know, center, left, right, right, left, center. Um, so in terms of anything that I brought over here, that was kind of like, you know, the show, the movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really. Um, maybe the the running probably changes a little bit, um, just because they're a little bit more on the more running, less lifting side here. Not saying that they don't lift but they're more they would prefer you to be more flexible than 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 big which i have no problem with anyway but mm-hmm. um that would probably be the biggest thing is the weight room differences how the u.s preaches bigger faster stronger whereas here is more of a you know stronger flexible better conditioned and their the base runners are faster would you say Top speed, I'm not sure. They, a lot of the guys here are burners, man. Some mm-hmm. of these guys don't even look like they touch the ground. Like, <laughs> they just move. And I think a lot of it has to do with effort, too. I'm not saying that a lot of people in the MLB don't effort all the time, but then again, you know, I've seen a lot of ground balls in the show that there's absolutely no way they shouldn't beat out. And I know those guys have great arms, but, I mean, God, here it's a two-hopper to the shortstop's a bang-bang play. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, they, they so you roll, you roll up a double play ball, and you don't know if it's a double play ball. I exactly. mean, it could be a rocket, and you don't know if you're turning two out of it. Exactly. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So are, are the ba- I know you mentioned the, the kind of the drive line weighted balls that they, 
that you've been tolling with for some years now. What about the, the regular baseballs that you guys use in the game? There's been talk recently about, you know, here in the States about the substance crackdown and everybody's yeah. like, well, the ball's not tacky. Look at what they're doing in Japan. It's completely different. So are the balls completely different? And is that for the better? So I actually have one right here. Let me grab this. They are completely different in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel a little bit smaller to me. They do have a natural tack to them right out of the packaging. Um, Mizuno is the one that makes the MPP balls that we use. This one's kind of not directly out of the packaging because I always mess with it in here, but they're actually wrapped in tin foil, completely wrapped in tin foil, and then cellophane. Um, so when you get a new ball, sometimes you have little pieces of tin foil that have gotten down inside the seams. But the overall feel of the leather to me is the only is the biggest difference, I would say. Like certain pitches don't feel the same. Not necessarily completely different, but they just feel slightly different. And uh, there is a small tack to it, but it does wear off pretty quick. And then the rosin here is more baby powder-ish. Very, very, very powdery, whereas the rosin in the U.S. is a lot more thick. So um, I know the U.S. crackdown is happening with the whole sticky stuff. And and, uh, I think... This is my personal opinion, but I think social media has a lot to do with that because, you know, you see all these numbers of pitchers and their increases and stuff, and they're not the first people that have ever done it, and they're not going to be the last people that have ever done it. But all it takes is some famous people on Instagram or Twitter to call out, why is he touching his hat so many times after he strikes out? You can't even touch your glove, not even like a little bit. It's crazy. Yeah, so, and then, you know, the commissioner had gotten wind of that. And obviously they don't want to taint the game. They don't want the game to be tainted like it was in the early 90s with the steroid stuff. So anytime they can avoid things like that, they're going to. And the crackdown is what they see as being the fair option of keeping pitchers from using stuff to increase their ability. Um here, they don't run into that problem as much because, then again, here, the, the respect level of, like, if somebody tells, you know, a traditional, like, if somebody tells a Japanese-born player, don't use sticky stuff, there's a very good chance they're probably not going to do it because they feel like they're disrespecting the game. Um, but, yeah, can I speak on everybody? No, but I could tell you that all of the guys that I have seen here, Japanese guys anyway, they don't use anything sticky. They use their sweat and that rosin and they throw the baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, the crackdowns, I thought it would last a month. I guess it's last a little bit longer than that, but I think for some guys, it's more of a, a health thing. Like Blas now said that if he's not, he used what sunscreen and rosin was the popular one. And he said yeah. that, you know, he'd be uh, putting the ball. I guess I have one here. I don't know what this is from, but putting the ball too deep in his hand and then it would lead to forearm, you know, problems, which would then go down to the elbow. So uh, definitely something to watch there. Um, I read it that there's a, there's a first squad and a second squad in Japan. Tell me about those two squads and how they operate. Ichigun and Nigun. Yeah. So Ichigun's obviously your big league team. Um, The one that travels, plays the games. Um, Anytime you have, uh, well, it's another thing that's different too in the U.S. If if as a starting pitcher, if we're on the road and we're on a let's say a three-game road trip, and I'm obviously not pitching that day or any of those three days. Obviously in America, I still go with the team. I practice with the team. Here, if the team's on the road and I'm not pitching any of those road games, I stay back <laughs> and practice at a different facility with 
the minor league guys, the farm league team. So you stay back and practice with them, throw your bullpens and stuff there. So you're always home unless you're pitching. Then you're on the road as a starter. Now, relievers are obviously different. Um, but, yeah, the first team is Ichigun. So they are the big league team. Uh, and the Nigun players are the minor league team. And then, obviously, you have your triple-digit guys who are, like, development guys. So their numbers are, like, 100 to 109, 110. Um they don't have the opportunity to play in the big leagues, regardless of how well they do at that point until they get a two digit number. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, let, let's fast forward a little back. Let, let's go back a little bit. I shouldn't okay. say fast forward. Uh, did you have a favorite player growing up? Cause I know you're, you're a Texas guy. Uh, did you, did you kind of have a favorite player, favorite team growing up? Yeah, I was a big Rangers fan. Obviously, when you think about the Rangers, at least me, when you think about pitchers, Nolan Ryan was my guy. Um, liked him a lot. I was actually a really big uh, Alex or, or Pudge Rodriguez fan. Um, Ian Kinsler, when he first started to become popular and get into the league, he was one of my favorite players. Um, I actually was a big Justin Smoke fan, who actually was over here at the start of the year with the Giants. So. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to him about that, but he probably would have made him feel old for me to tell him, hey, I remember when I was a senior in high school and you were playing in the big leagues. Uh, so, yeah, I was a big Rangers fan, Cowboys fan, still am a Cowboys fan. Yeah, I've never heard Justin Smoke ever be, you know, answered. And who's one of your favorite players growing up? Justin Smoke. So that's an interesting. So you have some creativity when it comes to picking out some some favorite players. I yeah, guess. I, I don't I don't tend to follow the norm, you know, with the Nolan yeah. Ryan thing. Obviously, I think 90 percent of anybody who likes pitching would probably throw him in their top 10. But um, yeah, I try I tend, I tend to go a little bit different ways. Like, for example, MLB The Show, my favorite guy to hit with is Lucas Duda. Yes, his stance is great. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. That guy crushed the ball with Lucas Duda. Yeah, there, there are some guys who just, I don't know, there's something about the stances in MLB The Show where it's, it doesn't matter what the rating is, how much power a guy has, but if the stance doesn't work, you will not have success. I mean, it's, oh. it's not a myth at all. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's crazy to how the aesthetic helps me play that game so much better. Like, you're right. His swing is just the way he stands. I see the ball well. I don't know. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or whatever, but, um, yeah, Rangers fan growing up. Yeah, going out to, to Arlington, that's great. Um, I always like hearing draft stories, and I've heard, I've heard a few good ones, and uh, I've talked to people that were, you know, played in the 90s and early 2000s or – uh, someone in the eighties and, you know, they didn't have the draft on MLB network. And of course, in the 14th round, they don't have the draft on MLB network. So how, how, did, how exactly did you find out? Did you know the Indians were in on you? What was that process um, like? So when I was coming out of junior college, obviously I had gotten a lot of letters and I knew that there was interest, but then again, I didn't want to get too excited about it, you know, cause I didn't want to be let down. So I actually, I knew day one, there was probably not any chance because that's obviously, you know, first round type stuff and, you know, whatever. I was actually fishing and I got a call from Mark Allen, who was the scout that drafted me with the Cleveland Indians. And he's, he called me and told me that they were going to take me with the pick. So I, you know, hurried my butt back inside and saw it roll across the bottom of the screen. And, you know, you start getting texts and congratulations and all that kind of stuff. And it was, 
kind of a surreal moment. And then it happened so fast. Uh, the signing happened. I talked to the Indians. We negotiated, you know, the negotiation of money was done. Then you actually meet to do the sign. You sign the physical paper. And then a week later, you're on a plane flight to, I went to Mahoning Valley and in Ohio and the whirlwind started, right? You start professional baseball and it's kind of like, not what you picture at first, right? When you think about professional baseball, you think about this elite, just the most beautiful fields in the world, the easiest travel. And then and you, you go right back to the grind of the minor leagues. And, and I wouldn't trade it for anything because it was awesome and a great learning experience. And I got so many experiences that most people, you know, would just kill for. And uh, met some awesome human beings along the way, learned a lot to help me, you know, moving forward and great experience. Yeah, that's I always like it because I feel like guys just for a few days get to be the talk of their town. And because, yeah. you know, the guys getting drafted are the best players or a few of the best players in their town. So I think yeah. that's always an incredible aspect to it and get drafted expecting, you know, everything's going to be great. Then you have a host family and, you know, yeah. uh, everything else is uh, a grind from here on out. Um, you talked about Juco just now, and I, I big advocate for Juco and um, I've had a few Juco players on here. What is that? I mean, that path I feel like is so underrated and people just completely cross it off right away. Why is Juco not, why should not it, what am I trying to, why shouldn't it be dismissed right away? Cause I feel like it should be an option for a lot of people. Cause you know, kids set their sights high and that's just how it is. I agree. I think that the glamor of D one baseball and big schools oftentimes deters people away thinking that because they're not going to, you know, the university of South Carolina, they're not going to, you know, a big school like Arizona state that they're not going to get seen and that they're not going to get better. And in fact, if people would just learn the complete like rules that D one has about practice and all this stuff. And, also understand that when you're being drafted in a division one school, oftentimes, unless you are the very best player in that area, they've already talked to multiple other people and you're being brought in and you're probably going to be redshirted unless you earn a spot. And only one dude's going to do that. So the Juco route was easy for me because my pitching coach in, in high school knew the pitching coach at the, at uh, Western Oklahoma state. And he actually coached him. And he was like, if you, he, I remember I was in the same boat I was like do I want to go to junior college or do I want to try to go other places and I had a few other offers and I remember the last time he called me before I signed his uh coach Otten calls and he goes hey have you decided if you're coming to Western yet and I go coach I haven't made the decision yet uh, he goes what are you waiting on and I, and I and I remember saying I'm not sure I guess I'm just waiting on just all my offers and he goes if you want to get drafted and you want to win a national championship, you'll come here. And he hung up on me, just hung up the phone. And I sat there for a minute. I'm like, dang, he really feels strongly about this. And, and then I, you know, talked to, you know, with a couple of people about it. And, and uh, I mean, if I don't go junior college route, I never meet, you know, I never run into this people I've run into, you know, the butterfly effect, right? It's one small change could change how the outcome of everything. So go to Western Oklahoma, end up being one of five American guys on the team. We had a lot of Latin players and great jump start to the, to the minor leagues, honestly. And 
we ended up winning a national championship my freshman year and we came in second place my my final year and I ended up getting drafted out of there I was committed to play at Oklahoma State University the following year ended up going to the draft instead so everything he told me was going to happen happened I learned a lot uh there's no limit on practice in junior college mm-hmm. yeah not glamorous you're not going to be in a cool city you're not going to have a cool mascot you're not going to have a cool football team but if your end all goal is professional baseball or your end all goal is to get to a bigger school eventually, or uh, to get better baseball in general, Juco is a great route. And I'm also a huge advocate for it. And I would tell anybody with the exception of, you know, the bet, maybe the best high school arm isn't even going to make it to college. He's going to go straight to the, you know, professional baseball, but I mean, Bryce Harper, look at that guy making an MVP candidate right now. And that dude's a Juco guy because he yeah. wanted to play professional baseball. That's what yep. he wanted. GD. I think he got his GED in high school when yeah. went to junior college early as the sun's starting to come in here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could always point out Juco guys, whenever you go to a four year university game, you could always point out which guy went to Juco. So that's always something that I see. Finally, just to wrap it up here, do you have any plans of eventually, you know, maybe returning and pitching back here in the States? Is that ever, you know, I'm sure it's on your radar, but is that something that uh, you envision? Yeah, I talked to uh, Zach Neal with Save the Lions about it. Um, we were just kind of, you know, BSing and talking a little bit. And he's like, you know, I want a couple more years here and then make a little bit another pit stop back in the U.S. if at all possible, make one last hurrah. And I think that's pretty much where I'm at. I would love to pitch here for another five years but I would like to retire in the U.S. uh have another you know year or two in the U.S. to just do the rounds and 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 uh yeah uh obviously the U.S. would be a great place to come back to and it's obviously an aspiration to be back there but like I said my time here has been great I wouldn't trade it for anything they've been really good to me um and I hope to be here in the future yeah, can you imagine if the Texas Rangers call in the next few years? That would be the biggest. That would be awesome. I mean, that, that would be, be nice. that would be great to see with your uh, hometown team and to see you back here. But yeah, congratulations, Michael, on all your success down there. Um, I appreciate you joining the show. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's good to talk to you and uh, enjoy the rest of your morning. Yeah, for sure. All right, you guys could follow him on Twitter or on uh, sorry on Instagram at m underscore peeps p-e-p-s 22 says that your number 22 it was in uh high school and in junior college yeah 45 now right 45 now yeah because i see that i'm looking at the drawing you you do get a lot of drawings i mean there's a there's a lot of that's awesome is it the same person or is it different or is it a variety of different people? people i also get pictures of people with like the towels that they make us like our mm-hmm. cheering towels you know climbing mountains and stuff it's pretty crazy that's interesting yeah and you guys can yeah. follow the podcast of course on twitter and instagram at rizzo cast thank you guys for listening thank you guys for watching and see you next time